this is no ordinary book full of pages and letters. This is the Holy Word of God. And uh, that's a, a good thing to remember once in a while. Mark chapter 12, uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse number 28, and we'll read down through verse number 31. Verse 28 of Mark chapter 12 says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Our Heavenly Father, once again, as uh, we have just read this very familiar passage of Scripture, but very powerful uh, portion of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would uh, burn it deep within our hearts and help us to live it out this week and throughout our lives, because, Lord, you are so deserving of it. And, Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us here in this room. Uh, Lord, while we can't control what happens with everyone outside of this room, we can control how we react. We can control how we love. And Lord, help us to do that uh, well. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd guide our time together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What I'd like to start with this morning is asking you to use your imagination. I'm going to ask you to stretch your imagination a little bit this morning. And so here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a society that is experiencing great political unrest and discontentment with government. Okay, imagine, I know this is going to be stretching some of your imaginations, but I want you to imagine, if you will, a society where a segment of the population feels oppressed and mistreated, okay? Imagine, if you will, a society filled with division and hatred and mistreatment based on people's pedigree. Now, I know that was difficult exercise this morning to imagine a society like that. And you say, Pastor, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about the condition of the United States. You're talking about the state of the union as we know it right now. Well, actually, I was referring to the days when Jesus walked the earth. You see, the issues that our nation is facing today are really nothing new. They have been around for a long time, and they kind of ebb and flow as time goes on. These issues of hate and division have really been around throughout history. In fact, it really didn't take long for the very first murder to take place at the very beginning. Remember, it was Adam and Eve's firstborn son who murdered his younger brother in cold blood because he was simply jealous of him. It didn't take long for that murder to take place. You see, the issues we're facing in America today as you turn on the news have been around for a long, long time because sin has been around for a long, long time. Now, when Jesus was walking on this earth 
as he faced uh, many of the same issues that are going on in our country today? What was his message? And what is his message today here in the good old U.S. of A.? What, what's his message for us in this day and hour that we find ourselves in? Well, simply put, it was a message, and it is a message of love. Our country, among other things, needs a healthy dose of love, specifically in relation to God's love. America needs to understand the three directions of God's love once again. What are these three directions of love? Well, very briefly this morning, I want to cover all three of them with us because they're all three connected. They all three uh, lead to each other. First of all, I want to talk about the first direction, and that is the downward direction. And this is God's love for us. You see, before we ever loved one another, before any of that, we need to remember that God loves us, and this is where love comes from. He is the source of love. It's, his, it's who He is. It's His nature. The Bible says a few times that God is love. Um, that is His definition. That's His nature. Uh, we've been singing about the love of God that He has for us this morning, and I am... Uh, very thankful for his love, and I'm very thankful to be able to sing about his love this morning. And as I begin to talk more about his love in this message, I'm reminded of how inadequate I am to do this. I relate with the songwriter when he wrote these words, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, bound down with care, God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And so I'm going to attempt to talk about the love of God, but I'm telling you right now it's going to fall uh, woefully short. Uh, but I am going to do my best to talk about God's love for us, the downward direction of love. Uh, first of all, I want to mention regarding uh, God's love for us that God's love was declared. God's love was declared to us. He told us that He loved us. This coming Wednesday, Julie and I will celebrate 20 years of married bliss. Every last second has been absolute bliss. Well, for those who've been married for any length of time, you know what I mean by that. Uh, we have had a wonderful marriage, and I am very thankful for my wife and the relationship that God's given us and the love that we have for each other. But I remember when I first declared my love for her. It was in the summer of 1999, the last summer of last century. She was at home in Northern California, and I was in Southern California. Uh, we were about six hours apart from each other. And this is before the days where texting and phone calls, unlimited talk and text, this is before those days. Um, and I remember uh, I, was, I thought, you know what? I'm going to surprise her and drive up there and tell her that I love her. Well, all of her family knew that I was coming except for Julie. And I remember driving up to surprise her to tell her that I loved her. I wore my, my best suit. And once I got to Northern California, to her town, I went to a grocery store and bought a dozen roses. 
And then I went and parked a block away from her house. And then I called her on my cell phone. Um, I did have a cell phone, but uh, it wasn't, I had to be very careful with how many minutes. Remember it was back in those days, remember you get like 200 minutes a month uh, for a big chunk of money. Um, now it's unlimited talk and text. Well, back in those days, I had to be very careful when I used my uh, call, when, when, when used my minutes. Well, I decided this was a good time to call her, and and uh, so I called her when I was about a block away from her house, and I tried to keep the conversation going as I walked up to her house, um, and uh, to not let on that I was only a few steps away from knocking on her door, and uh, finally got to her door and knocked, and she said she needed to get the door because someone was there at the door. Someone had knocked on the door, and I was like, yeah, you have no idea who that is. And, uh, well, of course, that someone was me. And uh, she was kind of like very confused for a moment. Remember that? You were like, I, uh, um, you didn't, she didn't know what to do with the phone. She didn't, it was, it was kind of funny to catch her like that. And uh, I handed her the roses and invited her to go to a rose garden downtown in downtown Sacramento. When we got there, I had her carry a Bible, and we sat down on one of the benches, and I asked her to open that Bible to 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, which, by the way, is the love chapter. And uh, I actually had memorized that in my presentation and telling her that I loved her. And so I began to quote it, and I finished by giving her a frame verse from Song of Solomon about the strength of love, and then I told her that I loved her. And I didn't really give her an opportunity at that time to tell me that she loved me back. Because I really just wanted to declare my love for her and not to say, hey, I love you. Your turn. No, no. I really just wanted to say I love you without expecting anything in return. Uh, But don't worry, praise the Lord. The next day at Garcia's Mexican restaurant, she told me that she loved me too. So all worked out. Look, God has declared his love for us in his word very much so. As the song says that we learned as little ones, remember this one? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So where in the Bible does it say that Jesus loves us, that God loves us, that God declared his love for us? Well, John in 3, chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, of course, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2 and verse number 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. So uh, Paul said that uh, God loves us, and, and John continued in his epistle or his letter in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 1 John 4 and verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So God loves us. Now, which begs the question, why? Why would God love us? Oh, I know. It's because we live in the Bible Belt. That's why God loves us. Or maybe uh, I know why God loves us. It's because we live in a red state. That's why God loves us. Now, I know why God loves us. It's because we're so lovable, right? 
Well, I think that this past month has shown the fact that we are not so lovable, are we? God loves us not because we're so lovable, but because God is so loving. It's because God is love. It's what He does. It's who He is. A.W. Tozer once said this, the love of God is one of the great realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He does not love masses. He loves men. He loves all with a mighty love that has no beginning and can have no end. You see, His love has been declared in His Word, but God's love wasn't just declared, it was also displayed. God's love for us was declared in His Word, and and by the way, it would have been enough for God to just tell us He loved us. That would have been enough, because He's God. And that that would have been plenty. But He didn't stop with just declaring it. Because really, true love is not only declared, it's also displayed as well. Uh, my, life, my love for my wife, you know, I can't just say, well, hey, I told you 20 years ago I loved you, and that's enough, right? Uh, that would be a very difficult marriage. I don't know that she would really have sensed the love from me if I wasn't willing to sacrifice some things, if I wasn't willing to display that love on a regular basis. Now, there have been many great displays of love throughout history, but none even come close to the display of God's love for us. Okay, so how did God display His love for us? Well, 1 John 4, 9 tells us a little bit of what happened here. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. You see, he, lo- he loves us so much that He sent His only Son to this earth who lived a perfect and sinless life. And that, that His name was Jesus, and He was tortured, and He was mocked and humiliated. And then He was sentenced to die a cruel death on the old rugged cross just outside of Jerusalem. It was there that He hung between heaven and earth for six long, excruciating hours in unbelievable physical pain as His body began to die. It was also there when the sky grew dark at high noon to indicate that God the Father was turning His back on God the Son because Jesus was literally becoming our sin. So there was great physical pain, but there was also great spiritual pain as well. And this was all to show and to prove and to display God's love for us. Romans 5 and verse 8 puts it this way, but God commendeth or demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of the fact that we were all woefully fall short of God's glory and are according to the Bible without strength, we're ungodly, we're sinners, and even His enemies, He did all of this to show us that He loved us. You know, some of us in here have uh, spent time in the military serving our country and defending our freedom. I don't know that there's ever been a war in history where someone would throw a grenade meant for an enemy and then they would jump on it. 
I don't know that that's ever happened. But you know, that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he took our place on the cross of Calvary. We see, we were his enemies because of our sin. And yet Jesus took our place that was meant for me and meant for you. And he was willing to do that to prove and to demonstrate and to display his love. Someone once said, when people ask Jesus how much he loves us, he spread out his arms on a cross and said, this is how much I love you. So why did God love us? Was it just to be a blessing to us? Well, ultimately, is so that we would end up believing on him so that we would be saved. Romans 5 and verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So the question is, hey, look, God loves you. The word of God declares it. Jesus on the cross is exhibit A. You know, if someone were to say, okay, yeah, prove that God loves you. Well, the Bible says so. And also, just look at the cross. That's evidence. That's all the evidence we need. Why did he do that? Yes, to show his love, but also to, uh, so that you and I would believe on him for salvation. And so if you're here this morning and you've never believed on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you today, uh, on the last Sunday of June, to make the greatest decision of your life and be born again and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation. So the first direction of love that we need to understand and get a grasp of is the downward direction, and that's God's love for us. But then secondly, not only is the downward direction of love important, but also the upward direction. And this is our love for God. Look, when we really understand how much God loves us and cares for us and the great lengths he went to show it and prove it, it should compel us then to love him back. 1 John 4.19 says it this way, we love him because he first loved us. When you and I get an understanding and a fresh glimpse of God's love for us, it should compel us and propel us and motivate us to love him back. All right, back to our text uh, in Mark chapter number 12 that we started with this morning. Uh, Verse number 29, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. First I see here the amount of love that we are to have for him. I see here the amount of love. Here he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with half thy heart, with half thy soul, with half thy mind, and with half thy strength. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with most of thy heart and with most of thy soul, with most... No, not most. Not 99%. All thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, our whole being. He needs to be first and and, uh, foremost in our entire lives. I read about two golfers um, 
who stepped up to the first tee on the St. Andrews course in New York, one of America's oldest golf courses. The uh, elder golfer was a kindly man who played a thoughtful, deliberate game. How many golfers do we have in here this morning? Not many hands. All right, well, we got a couple back here, and, and Miss Jonelle, amen. I knew you were a godly lady, and now I know for sure. So the elder gentleman was a kindly man who played a thoughtful, deliberate game. The younger man was full of pride and impatience. In the first hole, this younger man sliced and lost his ball in the tall grass. So he shot another one and had a score of eight instead of four or five. On the second tee, he began to lecture the caddy. Keep your eye peeled. I'm not here to do your job for you. Therefore, after every bad shot was the caddy's fault. At the end of the first nine holes, the young man was so enraged that he discharged the caddy and carried his own bag. That caddy doesn't like me, he said to his companion. I'm sure, and I'm sure I don't like him. He made me nervous. I'm really glad he's just gone. Well, after several holes had been played, without a word, the older player broke the silence. He said, several years ago, a little kid from Yonkers came up here and was taken on as a caddy. He was a wonderfully sweet boy, quick-witted, willing, and had a nose for golf. Everybody liked him, and his name was William. He had a club foot, but that didn't affect his quality as a caddy. It was, it was really a pleasure to go out with him. Well, a certain famous doctor, a member of the club, became interested in William and took him south on a long trip. When William returned, he went back to caddying. The doctor, however, had to give up golf shortly after that because of his health, and he died a few months later. One morning, I was playing around with William carrying my bag. Spring was running riot all over Westchester County, and the fields and hedges were alive with blossoms. William gathered flowers until he had quite a bouquet. Who's the girl, William, I asked. I haven't any girl, sir, he said sheepishly. They're for my friend, the doctor. Twice a week, I take flowers to his grave. You see, the man went on, the doctor took him down south that winter and operated on his foot. He made the whole boy, the boy whole again. And William never forgot the doctor's act of kindness. Well, the young man said, now that's a caddy worth having. Whatever happened to this William? Well, the older man said, well, he carried your bag today for the first nine holes. Now, my question for all of us is, where are the Christians who would be ever grateful for the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross of Calvary? Where are those who would remember the display of God's love and then love Him supremely? We kind of are glad for the fact that we're saved and that Jesus forgave us of all of our sins, but we kind of forget and go days, weeks, some even years without even thanking the Lord again for what he did. But here was a caddy who would twice a week go and take flowers to the grave of the doctor who operated on him. And, and there are a lot of Christians who won't go to church once or twice a week. That's just too much out of their time. And Jesus did far more than operate on our foot. He died on the old rugged cross to uh, meet our greatest need. My favorite hymn of all time 
without a doubt, is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I love that hymn. I have it framed in my office. My wife gave that to me on the day I was ordained uh, by Berean Baptist Church of Helena, Montana. She gave that to me as a gift. But the last line of that hymn says this about God's love. Love, so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, it demands my life, and it demands my all. So as we consider God's love, we should be propelled then to give our all, all of our love to God. Remember, Jesus paid it all. Some to him I owe. No, that's not the song, is it? All to him I owe. You see, we owe him all. And that's why God says the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all, 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 all of us. The Lord deserves our love and adoration. Let's give it back to him. But then we see not only the amount of love, but I want us to look at the action of love. Love is kind of a misknown word, misused word, overused word. You know, I might say I love pickles, which I do, by the way. But I would also say I love my wife. How does that make my wife feel? Not very good. She's shaking her head. Not good. Now, obviously, the level of love is different for pickles and my wife. At least it should be. (laughs) And I should love my wife more than pickles. But here's the thing. When it comes to love, some of us get this idea of just really liking something, just really uh, feeling all warm and fuzzy. Um, And and certainly love has to do with emotion. Emotion is part of love for sure. But it's also, it's not just a noun. Love is really also a verb, isn't it? John chapter 14 and verse 15, here's how we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So love is, is not just a feeling that we have towards God, although it's part of that. It's also action. If you love me, you're going to do what I ask you to do, God says. Okay? If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5 and verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And by the way, lest you think His commandments are horrible, the Bible says His commandments are not grievous. Doing God's Word is a blessing. It's It's a privilege. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, Paul writing here, he said, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Again, it, it motivates us and it, and it keeps us. It's the guardrails in our lives to keep us doing what's right. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So the action of love is not just, oh, this feeling that I have towards God. No, it's a desire to obey God. That's how we really love the Lord. You can measure our love for the Lord and how obedient we are to His Word. 
So let me ask you, based on that statement, how, love, how much do you love God? Or are there areas that you're not willing to obey God in? Uh, I'm telling you, that is the measuring stick of our love for God, is how obedient we are to His Word. So we see here, first, the first direction of love is downward, God's love for us. The next one is upward, our love for God. But then the third direction of love is outward, our love for others. And once we realize God's love for us and we're striving to love God supremely above all in our life, we will naturally want to love others as ourselves. 1 John 4 and verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 31 of our text here back in Mark chapter 12 says this, The second great commandment is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these, Jesus said. After Jesus finished washing the disciples' feet there in the upper room, uh, right before he was crucified, he said this in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John 15, 17 says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. Now when it comes to loving one another, it sounds great again. Uh, we've heard this all our lives. We know this verse. But I want to kind of dive in a little bit this morning and, and uh, kind of talk about a couple aspects of our love for others. First of all, I want us to look at the people we are to love. The people we are to love. Well, Jesus said in verse 31 of Mark chapter 12, Thou, thou shalt love thy, what's the next word? Neighbor. Neighbor. And so what I want to look at this morning is, who is our neighbor? Well, this was a question that someone else asked in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And I would invite you to turn over there with me because I'd like you to look at this, again, a familiar passage, Luke chapter 10, verse number 25. A certain lawyer stood up, tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 10, 25. Verse 26 says, He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And I love how the Lord answers questions. A lot of times he answered questions with another question. Uh, he was the master conversationalist. Uh, verse 27, And he answering, the lawyer did, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, Well, you've answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes into the story of the good Samaritan. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, we've been seeing that on the news quite a bit recently. Uh, so this is, again, nothing new that we're seeing on the news. It happened in Jesus' day as well. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He said, Well, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. The people we are to love... In this particular parable that Jesus shares here with us regarding this Good Samaritan, we uh, learn several different uh, categories of people in which we are to love. First of all, we are to love people who are different from us. We're to love people who are different from us. Uh, If you remember, a few weeks ago I preached the message on Jesus, how he must needs go through Samaria to talk to the woman at the well. And in that, we talked about why he did that. Part of it was to uh, remove prejudice from our lives. And of course, this is an extremely hot topic right now in our nation, where we're changing brand names because of fear of uh, being perceived as racist. But here we have a Samaritan and a Jewish man. And I will tell you, to say the least, they did not like each other. Uh, they They had no dealings with each other. They avoided each other. And when Jesus went through Samaria, even though it was the shorter route, it was not the normal route. They would always go around Samaria because they didn't want to talk to those people or see them because they were half Samaritans and half Jews. After, the, after they were taken in captivity, they intermarried with a, a people of, of, of a different faith. And as a result, Jewish people uh, looked down their nose at the Samaritans. But here, it's funny to me, and it's ironic, I guess, not funny, but ironic, that, that a Samaritan would go and help a Jewish guy, where, whereas his own, if you wanted to call race, and again, I'm not a big fan of that, I think that there is one race, and that is the human race, and uh, we just happen to have different skin color. That's the way God created us. And praise the Lord for the fact that he's uh, created different colors. And, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, we're, we're, we're just humans. And uh, we're all of one blood according to the Bible. Well, still though, there was, uh, I guess you could say, racial, racial tension uh, back in this day. But here, the Samaritan He was willing to love someone who was different than him. He didn't go and say, oh, well, let's see what he is. Oh, he's not a Samaritan. You're on your own, buddy. He was willing to say, I don't care that he's different from me. I'm willing to love him anyway because I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But we have two guys who were ministers who were supposed to care for people and uh, what, what did they do? They went the other side. They're walking along, and they, they, they come along, and they see this guy on that. Whoa, I'm going to go way over here, because I don't have time for that. But the Samaritan said, I don't care what he looks like. I don't care who his parents are. I don't care what his race is. I'm willing to help him. Look, God's people need to remember that the ground is level at the cross, We need to love our neighbor even if they're not like us. 
Remember, the Bible, even Jesus even tells us to love our neighbor. I mean, not, our, not just our neighbor, but our enemies. Love your enemies. What about the LGBTQ community? They've been in the news recently, too, haven't they? How are we to treat them? Simply put, we're to treat them with love. Not to say that we tolerate and accept their lifestyle and, and uh, let them come and hire them to be a, an assistant pastor or anything like that. No. We, have, we need to have standards. We need to hold to the Word of God. That lifestyle is wrong and it's wicked and it's sinful, period. However, uh, that doesn't mean we need to treat them uh, without love. Uh, we need to treat people who are different from us with love because that's what God said. God said to love our neighbors ourselves. And people who are different from us are our neighbors. And so we are to treat them with love. Again, that doesn't mean we need to accept their lifestyle and, and uh, pretend it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to God. But we are to love people who are different from us. How, what other people are we to love? We are to love people who are forgotten and despised by others. Again, these two uh, ministers totally avoided him and, and uh, didn't want to deal with him. For whatever reason, perhaps it was time, perhaps it was they knew it would cost money, or whatever it was, uh, they chose to pass by on the other side and did not take time to deal with them. And so this guy in the ditch was forgotten and despised by others. That's someone that we need to love. That's our neighbor. And are there people in this world who are forgotten and despised by others? Yes, those are the people we are to love. What else? Well, we're also to love people who cannot do anything for us. It wasn't like this guy in the ditch, you know, had a, had a big chunk of change that he could give this guy to thank him for helping. Really, there was nothing that this guy was going to do for the Samaritan. And that shows true love. And by the way, it's easy to love people who do things for you. It's easy to love friends who are friends back to you. See to love family when, when they you know, treat you nice and send you birthday cards on your birthday and whatever. It's, not, it's easy to love them, but, but what about the ones who don't do anything for you? Those are the ones we're to love, too. And that's what the Samaritan did. He was willing to love someone even though he wasn't going to get anything in return. We're to love people who cannot do anything for us. We're also to love people who are hurt or hurting. Those are the people who need love the most. And by the way, some in that community I just uh, talked about a little bit are actually hurting. Uh, That's one of the reasons they're in that mode. It's because they've been hurt. And they need someone to really love them and to show them the love of Christ. And many times, I I don't know exactly why this priest and this Levite went by on the other side, and they didn't take the time themselves to help. I don't know if it was a lack of time. I don't know what it was. Maybe they, you know, uh, they, they just chose not to do it. But they noticed him. The Bible says they looked on him. When they saw him, I can't help but think that maybe they thought, well, that's a bummer for him, but I'm really glad that I'm not like that. I'm really glad that I'm not down in the dumps like that. 
And, you know, if we're not careful, we can develop an attitude when we see people are hurting and say, well, at least I'm not like that. We can kind of take a little bit more of a gratitude attitude and say, well, I'm glad that I'm not hurting. I'm glad that my life's okay. I'm glad that I'm not down in a ditch somewhere. Glad that I'm not standing on the side of a road holding a sign, hoping someone will give me money. I'm glad I'm not like that. Well, to some degree that's okay, but we, we can't just stop with that and, and say, well, I just, I just was thankful, so I'm good. No, we're to actually still show love to those who are hurting. We're to show love to those who are hurting. So these are the people we are to love. I know it's not always comfortable to love our neighbor. It wasn't comfortable for the Samaritan to do it. It was inconvenient, but he was willing to do it anyway. I want us to see not only the people we are to love, but the proof of our love. True love, once again, is not just a feeling. It's something we do. Love is a verb. It's an action word. And we see this played out in the story of the Samaritan. He didn't just walk up to this guy and feel something for him and say, oh, I'm really sorry for your situation, but I love you. Be warmed and filled and have a good day. That's not, that's not love. You see, he stopped and, and really helped this man. He was willing to give him his most precious commodity, which, by the way, wasn't money. It was his time. I look here at verse number 34. Here's what he did. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him, brought him to an inn, to a hotel, took care of him. And then verse 35 says, and on the morrow when he departed. So evidently, he stayed with this man all night long. I mean, this wasn't just a, hey, let's just, you know, uh, find a quick, quick solution so that I can be on my way. He was willing to take an entire night to stay with this man. He was also, of course, willing to sacrifice his resources and uh, used his own beast and poured in his own oil and wine and, and, uh, and, and offered to pay for the guy uh, to stay longer there at the hotel. He was willing to do quite a bit, and he proved his love through action, through sacrifice. So the question for us this morning is, do we really love our neighbor as ourselves? Do you remember... Uh, let me just say this. We personally, at least I do, I like to have my needs met. Don't you? I like to be treated nice, don't you? I like to receive help when I'm hurting, don't you? I, I like it when, when people give me what I need most. Well, if that's the case, if that's what I like, then maybe I should love others like that too and make sure that I'm meeting people's needs, and I'm treating them the way I want to be treated. And this is going to go to my kids who, are, who live in our house. This is a constant reminder that we need to give to them. By the way, the, the thing that we need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So really, the best way you can show love for your neighbors is to share the good news of the gospel with them. That's not the only way we should love them. Uh, that's, that's the biggest and most important, but we can love them in practical, uh, temporal ways too. William Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the princess was seriously ill with diphtheria. 
The, daughter, the doctors told the princess not to kiss her little daughter and endanger her life by breathing the child's breath. Don't get too close. Be socially distant. <laughs> well, once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, completely forgetting herself, took the little one into her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the little child said, Mama, kiss me. Without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. As a result, she got diphtheria, and some days thereafter, she went to be forever with the Lord. See, real love forgets self. Real love knows no danger. The Bible says this, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. So once again, loving our neighbor is more than a feeling. It's an action word that needs to be lived out and proved. And so I want to give us all homework this morning, me included. That's to love our neighbor, not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. To love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, as we consider all of these directions of love that we've mentioned this morning, the downward direction, God's love for us, the upward direction, our love for God, and outward, our love for others, all three of these directions are connected, aren't they? When we rightly understand God's love for us, it will compel us or constrain us to love Him supremely above all, and then that love for God will naturally result in us loving our neighbor as ourselves. 1 John 4 and verse 20 says it this way, and these are pretty blunt words from John. He said, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. You say, oh, I love God. I mean, I just, I just love him. He's so wonderful. But then you have hatred in your heart towards a brother. He says, you're an absolute liar. False. You do not love God. He goes on to say, For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. You see, they're connected. They're connected. Yeah, I believe that this country needs a healthy dose of love, don't you? We need a good understanding of the love God has for us once again. And then we need to focus on loving God first and foremost one more time. And we need to have true love for our neighbors once again. But, but while everyone out there needs to apply this message, it starts with us in here. It begins with me and with the person sitting in your seat this morning. That's where it starts. So let's go live it out this week. Let's not just be good hearers of the word today. Let's be good doers of the word. Let's apply this message of love to our lives today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love for us.